Hear the word of God from chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel of Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born. Uh, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to be is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And now from the end of the letter to the Romans. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, and him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that may, you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Sydney. Woo. So I get to preach this one again. This, is, this was a good one. I, I was really grateful to prepare and just see what the Bible teaches about the hope that the Holy Spirit brings. So I am delighted to preach and, and just share God's word with you this morning. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint Church, and we are in an Advent sermon series looking at seeing the Advent. The Advent is the coming of Christ. It's, it means coming. It's literally from the, the Latin word, the coming or the arrival. Looking and seeing at the Advent, anticipating the, the coming of Christ as people who worship God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're celebrating Advent as a church, and we have an Advent devotional that uh, is following the themes of Advent. Um, in most years, we have the sermon on the, starts the week, and then the devotion follows. But this year, because Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, we set it up differently. So the devotions start, at, start on Monday, and then you hear the sermon about the theme that following Sunday. So I hope all of you have some of you have prepared your hearts and just th thought about hope this whole week as you, as you come this morning. If you can't do the Advent devotional, at minimum, I, I challenge all of you to, to watch the, the video on it on the first day 
And it's a Bible project video on the theme word and, and just kind of the Old and New Testament usage and, and the way the, that word comes to us in, in the text. And then just reflect on the questions for that day. Also, there's a podcast that came out last week that's about what is Advent that Erica hosts and myself and Molly Jordan and Ben Uthi are on. And if you just want to learn more, I, I, I hope you could listen to that and just hear more about how we celebrate Advent here at Waypoint Church. Uh, so the theme this week is hope, and I want to start with a question that you should ponder. What would be the most hopeful thing someone could tell you or offer you right now? Like the absolute most hopeful thing. For some, it could be money, a job. For others, it could be healing yourself. You need healing or healing for a loved one. For others, it could be an array of things. We all live in cycles of things are going well, and then times we're just hoping that our circumstances will change or hoping that this thing will happen. What is hope? Where do you find hope? And why, during this season of the year, does Macy's put the word hope on red bags, you know? Maybe you get hope by buying stuff, right? Hope and joy. Uh, last night, we watched the Christmas classic as a family. We watch it every year, and something showed up that I never, I've seen that movie probably, it's been around 30 years. I've probably seen it about 30 times, and I've never noticed this until last night, maybe because I was preparing for the sermon. But in the scene where uh, Kevin's, pardon? Oh, Home Alone, sorry. I didn't say the name of the movie. I'm still getting used to this preaching tooth sermon thing. I forget what I've already said and what I haven't. But... Um, in Home Alone, Kevin's parents leave him back home. And just so you notice, his, his passport does fall in the garbage can the night before when they're eating pizza. So they, they, they are. that's a little foreshadowing that you may not have noticed in the movie. You're welcome for those of you who think his parents are really terrible. Uh, they are, and they leave him. But uh, it's a funny movie. Joe Pesci and the other guy are just really funny. And, but there's a scene where she's at the airport trying to get back to America. She's in Paris. And she needs to get back to America as soon as possible. But all the flights are booked because it's like Christmas. And she says this statement. This is Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. So I wrote it down. And then I Googled it because I was like, I wonder if that's from something. Like, you know, Thomas Aquinas said it or some, some person said it in history. And it's not. The first time it's ever said it in history is 1990 when Home Alone came out. I'm going to show you this. Also, when I Googled it, I found that you can buy swag on Etsy that says, this is Christmas, the season of perpetual hope, established 1990, or some of them say Kevin's mom, you can get it in a mug. You can also get a lot of other quotes from the movie uh, from Kevin and others. So I, I thought about that comment, the season of perpetual hope, the fact that a movie that comes out in America, she could just say that, just throw it out there. And as we think about who we are in Christ, uh, you can take it down because we'll probably get, y'all are going to think about Christmas shopping or whatever, but uh, I don't want you to be thinking about what you need to buy next or what you forgot or, or did that thing ship or you got to check the tracking number. Uh, but I want you to think about this. The key theme of the New Testament is we are in Christ. If I were to just sum up the New Testament, we're in Christ, like as for, in its relationship to us, God's people. We are in Christ. How are we in Christ? We have the Spirit. 
And what does that mean? We can live in perpetual hope, no matter what happens. So we don't have to wait till Christmas for this perpetual hope, according to Kevin's mom. We can live in perpetual hope, no matter when times are good or when times are hard. No matter what happens, what this life throws at us, no matter how much we're personally struggling or the other ones around us are struggling, we can be people, because we're in Christ, because we have the Spirit, we can live in perpetual hope. So that's basically the point of the sermon that I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes. So how does the Holy Spirit give us hope? This is actually kind of a wordplay. He gives us hope in his very existence and his workings in redemptive history, and he literally gives us himself as a gift which we can rest our hope in. So I'm going to unpack this, but when we're talking about one of the persons of God, we have to use statements like that that are, have a lot of complexity and a lot of paradox and a lot of this and that, this and that, because that's how we have to talk about God. So how does the Holy Spirit give us hope? Point one, he gives us hope in his very existence and his workings in history. His very existence is our hope and how he's worked in history. So let's unpack that a little bit. And you guys know I love to teach the Bible. I am going to teach from Genesis to Revelation today, but not every passage. So we're not going to be here to like three or four today. We're going to, just a few minutes. All right, let's look at Luke 1, the passage that, that Sydney read just a moment ago. So I'm going to skip ahead a little, but it just says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is Zachariah's husband and John the Baptist's mom. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth and a, um, a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So you see how all this is linked to the historical record, what's going on in their history. These people are waiting for the Messiah to come. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greeting to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, we've actually preached on this sermon before. I, mean, I can't go into the amazing theology that happens in this sermon. Um, I can point you to some previous sermons that were preached at Waypoint where we look at this. But I want to, I want to focus on the historical moments and, and kind of some things that are happening at this moment in history, in world history and in redemption history. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at these words. The angel said, do not be afraid. Um, it says in verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, you would call him Jesus, or literally it's Joshua would be the Hebrew way of saying it. And it goes on and it talks about his kingdom. He's from the throne of David. He's, he's, he's one of his Jacob's descendants. Kingdom will go on forever through him, basically claiming he's the Messiah. Mary says this in verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit intervenes in history here. The Spirit of God makes a way for God to enter into human history. Fully God, fully man. This is the only way He could save us. This is the only way He could relate to us. Fully God, fully man, the Spirit enters into human history at this moment so that God could become one of us, take on flesh, to live, to love, to die, to save us. And it, so that's, you see the Holy Spirit entering history here. But I love this story. It keeps going. 
Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, in verse 38. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Then I love this account next. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Again, Zechariah and Elizabeth are John the Baptist's parents. They shouldn't have had babies. They, I mean, a baby they conceived late in life. It was a miracle of God. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leaped in her womb. I love that. I mean, some of you have felt the little kick of babies. It's, it's awesome. But the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's intervening again. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So I would say this is the first New Covenant Holy Spirit revival. John the Baptist in the womb, praising God. Ruby was here in the first service, and she got so excited when I said this, she literally like started jumping up and down. So can you all get excited like Miss Ruby would? All right. <laughs> When the Holy Spirit comes, babies jump in their womb. And the amazing thing about this moment in history is, to this point, the Spirit shows up in moments in, in Jewish history with the spirits with Moses, Aaron, and Miriam as they lead the people into the Exodus. The Spirit is with King David as he trusts God. The Spirit's with Peter as he launches Pentecost. The Spirit's with Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah at this moment. But the Spirit's also with you and me as we live each day. Let's continue to look at the biblical narrative. In Luke 3, just a couple chapters later, John the Baptist is an adult now. And we'll look at 3, starting with verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. So just how we're waiting now for Jesus to come back, they were waiting then. That's why... At Christmas time, we, the, the church gave us the Christian calendar to blend these two together. The same anticipation they had for Jesus' first coming is the same anticipation we should have for his second coming. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is the proclamation of the gospel. This is probably the first proclamation. John the Baptist says, what's the gospel? You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit will come into people. And we're going to explain kind of what this means to them. They would have no, really not a, a huge reference point for this. They would have known that the Holy Spirit intervenes in, in, in their history, like I said, with, with David and with Moses and these, these other points, and they would have known that the Spirit lives in the temple behind the curtain, and that's where God's presence is. But he's saying you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire, and the fire is only used in this reference. In the other gospel references, John doesn't use fire, but he explains what he means, and it just means that this Holy Spirit baptism will also include us being refined like fire, and we are made right with God through the sanctification process. I can't go into that any more than that, but, that, but just remember the spirit that when they asked John, are you the Messiah? He's like, no, 
All I can do is baptize you with water. But one's coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now let's go to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. If you read any other ancient Near East or ancient other creation account, uh, there's a battle between the chaos and the gods. There's always a battle. And the chaos, the gods fight the chaos or the darkness or whatever, or the sea monster and win. And then that makes that God worthy of kind of creating or whatever. Our Bible, our God, doesn't, there's no battle. He's in complete control from the beginning. There's chaos, but it's, it's completely orderly. He is going to establish it all. We have nothing to fear. From the beginning, the spirit is hovering over the waters, and there's nothing to fear. Zero. Like, that's how the first sentence of our scriptures. There's no battle. There's no fight. There's no, the spirit is in complete control and ready to orderly set up God's world and bring his people into it. That's what Genesis 1 is telling us. And you see how the spirit's there at the beginning showing us it's okay. The wind of God, the Spirit of God is, is completely in control. There, it doesn't even have to mention any kind of battles because there's, there's not even a battle to be fought. Just complete control, ready to set up the order and the structure that God, the Spirit, will bring. Now, I, I'd love to go through the whole Old Testament and, sh and show all the points where the Spirit intervenes in redemptive history and draws people out. But I want to jump to Matthew 27, 50, where we learn about the cru crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. It says this, And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, this is on the cross, he gave up his spirit. Same word. He died. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Remember I talked about the temple earlier. The temple is where God's spirit dwelled. They had a tabernacle, and as they moved in the, in the early times, before they had Jerusalem, they moved the tabernacle around, and the spirit of God followed them wherever they went to guide them, to direct them. When they created a permanent resting place, God's spirit was behind the curtain. Now the curtain is torn in two, which is in, as saying God's spirit goes out. Now listen to what's next. This is amazing. The earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out from the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. What? <laughs> wow. I don't have time to unpack this. If you want to get, go to get lunch with me, we can look at how amazing this is. But this, the spirit of Jesus ascends back to heaven. Remember at his baptism, the spirit comes down on him. In that passage I read earlier, I didn't, I didn't get to the second half, but the spirit comes down on him like a dove. And now his spirit goes back up. And now then the spirit goes out. See that? That's God's redemptive history. That's the spirit moving. Now let's jump ahead to Romans 15, the passage we looked at earlier. Romans 1 through 11 is kind of an introduction to this is how God saves people. God is in the business of saving people. He's, a, he's in the business of covenant faithfulness. That's kind of what Romans 1 through 11 is about. 
He saves Jews and Gentiles. He makes a promise and a covenant with people, and he, he fulfills that promise. Romans 12 through 14 are kind of like, how are we to be the church in light of that promise? That category spills over into 15, but then he goes back to like this saving of the Gentile promises at the end, in the middle of 15, Romans 15, and he says this. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, this is a prophecy from Isaiah 600 years before this time. The root of Jesse will spring up. The root of Jesse is David. Remember when the, the angel came to Mary and said, you know, talked about the line of David and that this Messiah will come. The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles, those outside of the covenant that God made with Abraham, will hope. That's us. That's our hope. Next verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the point of today's sermon, this benediction here. I hope that this becomes the reality for all of us. This is living in Holy Spirit hope. But you see how it starts off with looking at history. God's promise that he makes to the prophets that this Messiah will come, that you, you're, you're waiting and waiting and waiting, but I will make it right. And how does God make it right? By sending Jesus. Jesus' spirit goes up, and then his spirit goes out to us. Continuing in this theme, or let's jump to the next one. Second point. The Father and the Son give us the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit gives us hope as a gift. He literally gives us himself as a gift, which is what we can rest our hope in. New Testament scholar Michael Bird puts it like this. In salvation, the Holy Spirit is both the giver and the gift itself. What the gospel promises, the Holy Spirit actualizes. Life, love, joy, peace, and hope. He actually didn't have hope in his original thing. I added that because I know, I know Michael would agree with me. I, I didn't ask him for permission to do that, but I think he, he would add that too. In our spiritual lives, the Spirit speaks, leads, helps, witnesses, and even inhibits where necessary. The Spirit guides us, but also convicts us of sin, and this is a good thing. The Spirit allows us to be hopeful and be the people God has called us to be. Last Sunday, Pastor Lawrence preached on 1 John 4, and we looked at this part of it. It says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made and complete in us. This is hard. Like, how do you love people? How do you really follow the Sermon on the Mount? How do we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, as Paul talks about in, in Romans 12? How do, we, how do we do this? This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit, verse 13. He has given us his spirit. How do you do it? How are we in Christ? How is us in him and him in us? Through his spirit. Again, think back to this redemptive history thing. God didn't have to give us his spirit. Just the very fact that God lets his spirit be in his people is good news. This is good news. God invites us into the triune fellowship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
He brings us into that. And Peter's going to preach on that next week and tell us how that can bring us joy. This is good news, y'all. Good news. This is how we can love God and love others. Because he has given us of his spirit. The core teaching of Jesus leaving the spirit with his people comes in what is called the great discourse. It starts at the end of John 13 and goes through chapter 17, the gospel of John. And in John 16, we read this. It says, but very truly, I tell y'all. So when I read this passage, I'm going to say, this is the new Southern translation. I'm going to say y'all because I want you to think of these as plural use, not personal use. There is a personal element. It's for you too, but it's, it's a plural you for all of us. So Jesus is saying this as he's leaving. He knows he's going to die, and he knows he's going to rise again, and then he knows he's going to be ascend to heaven. And he says these profound statements. But very truly, I tell you all that it is good, for, but it is good uh, that I'm going away. For unless I go, go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And this word advocate is a Greek word that can be translated counselor, comforter, encourager, and advocate. Isn't it amazing in God's redemptive plan, the word that he chooses to give us, to explain, to describe this wind, that how the Old Testament describes the Holy Spirit as a wind, as a spirit that can actually inhibit space because it it's, doesn't have a body. Jesus doesn't say the wind, will, the, the spirit will fill you. He says when the advocate comes, advocate, encourager, comforter, I said this in the first service, and they made fun of me, but everybody wants a life coach, right? Everybody needs some guidance, some advice. And there's nothing wrong with that. Life's hard. We need advice. Someone came up to me afterwards and said, I'm going to get you a bumper sticker. The Holy Spirit is my life coach. <laughs> but it's true. Jesus says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come. And think about it. Literally in that passage in Matthew, Jesus' spirit goes up. And the advocate can go out. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will provide. He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. And about righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. About judgment, because of the princes of this world now stand condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he... The spirit of truth comes. He will guide y'all into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell y'all what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you, to y'all. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you, to all of us. Now, I'd love to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and how the Spirit is this convicting advocate, counselor, but I can't. I'm just trying to give you that. I don't have time today. All those things we get with the Spirit. N.T. Wright says this, those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. This is a profound, provocative statement. But uh, 
Professor Wright, the NT New Testament scholar, is, is basing this on the, new, the scriptures themselves. In 1 Corinthians 16, 19, and 20, it says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Extremely provocative statement. You've heard this your whole life. This statement actually is about sexual immorality and, and trying to honor God with our bodies in, in its context. But Paul is Jewish. And in Jewish culture, the temple is the centerpiece of their existence. Just this statement could get Paul killed in his culture. Just this statement. There's only one temple, and it's in Jerusalem. And there's only one place where the Spirit dwells. It's in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. And Paul, after the resurrection of Jesus, is proclaiming that even a Gentile Corinthian, probably uncircumcised, who puts his faith in Jesus Christ, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like, this is provocative beyond measure, unless it was true. The fact that we get to be the resting place of God, unworthy people who fall short all the time, get to be the place where God's Spirit dwells, and we get to be that individually and together as a group, praise God. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit on our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That's hope. We have his seal of ownership we, as a deposit, guaranteeing is what to come. All of us in life, we wake up every morning and we do stuff to try to get some kind of guarantee of something else, right? Why do we go to jobs? To make money. To, like, get stuff, right? We hope that the guarantee is I go to this job and I'm going to get paid and then they're going to put it in my bank account even though I never actually see any kind of cash and then it's going to show up on my Wells Fargo app. And, you know, it's, it's, we do things, we trust in these systems. But what if it, the system fell apart? I had a friend who I used to teach English over at NC State to international students and he was from Libya and he was a professor there and came to NC State for like a two-year exchange professorship thing. He was a professor of agriculture. And while he was in America, his country fell apart. Literally, uh, rebels took over his campus, militias. The dorms became barracks for the militias. His university just doesn't exist anymore. No job, no pension, nothing. You know, if, if that were to happen to you or me, where is our hope? I, I, I want good things to happen in this world. God put us in this world so that we can enjoy it and, and redeem it and be part of restoring the brokenness. But ultimately, that's the sign of our deposit isn't in all these, isn't in our, the deposits in our bank account. The sign, the seal of our deposit, according to the scriptures, is that he anointed us, he set a seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit on our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So no matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens, we know that we have the Spirit, and that is hope. So the very, the very fact that God invites us into the triune relationship 
The very fact that God gives us his spirit and the very fact that that same spirit that's been moving in history is part of your story now too is hope. In 2 Corinthians 5, Eric and I preached on this a couple months ago. Uh, It just says, while we live in these earthly bodies, these tents, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die or get rid of these bodies that close us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared this, prepared us for this. As a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. We have been given the Spirit. We can live in hope. Hope, one life, times are good and times are hard. I've served and ministered with many Christians from many different countries and cultural backgrounds. I've been doing this for about 20 years. I lived, was in a student overseas, uh, Erica taught English, and then I also have worked with international students here. And it's generally been encouraging and really neat to have this global body of Christians that I get to engage with. But sometimes some of them are experiencing real hardships because of their faith in Jesus. Family hardships. Their families literally disown them. Persecution. Job loss. Even threats of prison or prison time. I've actually had friends who went to jail for, being a, for doing just what you did this morning. Just coming to a worship service. Thrown in jail. Had to sign a piece of paper. They forced, wanted to say they renounced Christ or renounced the fellowship of believers. What hope can we offer that person at that moment? We can offer them that they're sealed by the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit lives in them, and no matter what happens, God is with them. They are in Christ, and the Spirit of God dwells within them. On not such a harsh note, I have many Christian friends who feel discouraged or fearful, or because of hardships or evil in this world, this fallen world, they have no hope or they feel hopeless. I have friends with drug addiction, friends with depression, friends who have been really hurt by the evil of this world. And I even know some people who hurt others and have a hard time forgiving themselves. What hope do we have them to give them? The Holy Spirit is their hope. It's given as a seal, as a promise, as a guarantee that God is love, that God loves them. God sent Jesus, God is with them, God has given them his word, God has given them his church, and God has given them his spirit. We're together part of this hope. The word, the church, and the spirit are what Jesus leaves us with. We're part of that hope. So no matter what life throws at you, whether you're the person helping or you're the person who needs to receive the help, We're all living in this Holy Spirit hope. John Calvin said this a bunch of years ago, I don't know, 400 years ago or so. Yes, since we see that not all the indiscriminately, that not all indiscriminately embrace that communion with Christ, which is offered through the gospel, reason itself teaches us to climb higher and to examine into the secret energy of the Spirit. I love that. The secret energy of the Spirit by which we come to enjoy Christ and all his benefits. And I didn't go find this quote in Calvin's 8,000 Institute pages. I 
I actually found it in a book by Amy Gannett. She actually lives in North Carolina, and Peter, Peter uh, went to seminary with her, but she's a theologian, wrote this really helpful book. I just grabbed it off our bookshelf. Erica was reading it as I was preparing for the sermon, and I was just like, let me read what she has to say about the Spirit. And she, she quotes Calvin there, and then she says this about that quote, and I, j- I just want us to reflect on her words because I just, I, I just felt like it really conveys the essence of what I want to teach you all this morning. So this is Amy Gannett. She says, Calvin knew something we are prone to forget. The work of Christ is made accessible to us by the Spirit of God. What the good news about Jesus promises to us, life in Christ, ability to approach the throne of God and grace rather than judgment, is put into effect by the Spirit as he indwells us and makes us one with our Savior. Next slide. Next slide. All the joys of the gospel, all the promises of God, all the righteousness of Christ is being applied to you and me today by the power of the indwelling Spirit of God. This is his ongoing ministry, the task he gladly takes, takes up today as he sets us free from the law and gives us life in Christ. Next. As we live our lives in the Spirit today, we live into the theological reality of what is already and not yet. And we are already made one with Christ by the Spirit here and now in so many ways. And at the same time, the union is not yet fully realized. We live our lives of discipleship between these worlds, what God has already accomplished in Christ, and the hope of the work being perfected and complete at the wedding feast of the Lamb. In this in-between turn of discipleship, sorry, that's, we are all members of the bride of Christ who is being readied and beautified and purified by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Amen. Sorry, never use talk to text when you're reading a book and trying to get it to go to the text. I thought I had corrected everything from the first service, but you get the point. We're in this already and not yet. And there's a wedding feast of the Lamb that's coming. So let's jump ahead to the last, this is my final conclusion today. Where do we find hope? What hope does the Holy Spirit give? How can we live in this hope? I talked about the first verse in the Bible, right? The Spirit is in complete control. We have nothing to fear. How does the Bible end? This is Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit we've been talking about, and the bride, the bride is us, the body of Christ, say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires, drink, who desires drink freely from the water of life. Then it goes on and gives a warning about taking away words from, from, this, uh, from Revelation itself. And then he says this. He was f- the faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord be with God's holy people. This is how the Bible ends. But I want to go back to verse 17. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. We know who this Holy Spirit is. We're the bride. So together with the Holy Spirit, we ask for Jesus to come back. We know that there's good for us to do in this world. But the end of the Bible says it's okay for us to be unified with the spirit. We're the bride. We're broken. We're messed up. We're, We're... But we're the bride of Christ. 
We come together with the Spirit. We join together with the Spirit, and we say, come, Lord Jesus. And that's what we celebrate in Advent. This world is broken. This world is, is fallen. But we know that the Spirit and the Bride come together. We have God's Spirit. We have His Word. We have His Bride. And we come together, and we say, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you that our hope is in you. We can be in Christ, and Christ said, I have to leave so the Spirit will come and indwell the people. There's no longer a need for a temple because your body, all of us, get to be the temple together. We get to be the people where your Spirit dwells. God, it's a, it's a daunting task, but it's not us who does it. It's you who does it through us. May we yield to your Spirit as you guide us, direct us, comfort us, Encourage us. And God, we pray with the Spirit, come. Come back and make all things right. Break the chains of evil and oppression in this world. Break the chains of darkness. But until you come, God, use us as agents, as your local church and part of the global church, as agents of bringing your freedom, your hope, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy to a world that feels hopeless. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.